You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Dozens of people were allowed to return home today, more than a week after they were forced from their properties by the Karameas Creek wildfire. Anxiety and anticipation was high because a lot were unsure of just what they'd be returning to. Ahmad Agahi joins us live near Karameos tonight. And Ahmad, the news was very good thanks to the tireless work of fire crews. That's right. A tireless work over a few days in good conditions and the results of a drone-operated thermal scan helped make the decision on Wednesday to lift the evacuation orders for a limited number of properties. It was first anticipated that everyone could go home at the same time, but it appears that process is happening in stages. One by one, evacuees can finally drive past the Highway 3 check stop at Twin Lakes. You are going home. Some have been away from home for more than a week now. And before today, their entire lives had been on pause. Oh, it's been really stressful. I have two cats. We live in a small little 10 by 10 rooms. It's, it's tough. It's uh, stress, stressful. The Karameas Creek wildfire forcing away many living along this stretch of highway between Penticton and Karameas no longer threatening to homes in this immediate area. As recent as last weekend, it was burning with rage right up to the highway. But after days of relentless firefighting and planned ignitions, the 6,800-hectare wildfire is now headed towards the backcountry. A drone-operated thermal scan confirmed on Wednesday that 54 properties are officially in the clear and their residents are allowed back. I'm going to uh, see my bees and uh, put some water on my garden. Those coming back remember how close the flames were when they left and now are thankful firefighters could save their home. I thank them all. They're great. They did a great job. And they're still doing a great job. They saved your home. And everybody else's. They do a fantastic job. The firefighters. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you for them. Meanwhile, those still evacuated from 493 properties in Olala and Apex will have to wait longer because the Karameas Creek wildfire is still considered out of control and the good conditions will not last much longer. The weather forecast um, is showing that we will potentially see a potential lightning event come up through the um, south part of the province uh, this afternoon into this evening. So it could come with some erratic winds, um, lightning, and potentially some rain as well. So uh, we are tracking that system. Um, we have secured the lines that we um, anticipate with guard where we can. Um, and yeah, when the system shows up, we'll react accordingly. So as mentioned, 493 properties still remain under evacuation orders. I spoke to a representative from the regional district of the Okanagan Similkameen not too long ago. He hinted that there may be some good news coming for the residents of Olala tomorrow morning. But uh, today the BC Wildfire Service has also been reminding people this wildfire is still considered out of control. Any decision has to be made with caution. Chris. Fingers crossed for that good news tomorrow. Thanks very much, Ahmad. That's Ahmad Agahi reporting your Karameos.
And meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with more on the concern over lightning forecast for the area. Yvonne? Yes, we're tracking it this evening, but it is going to pick up with a greater potential to see some severe thunderstorms popping up across the region for tomorrow as well. At this hour, though, a big area of concern, we do have that for the Nicola, that we are seeing the potential or the risk of thunderstorms. Uh, they may become very severe, and that's moving its way towards Merritt right now. So lightning, a big concern, nickel size hail. We could see heavier downpours as well. This is what we're tracking through this evening. We will start to see it dissipate, but the areas of concern, especially with the fire danger rating sitting at anywhere between high extreme, will be for the southern interior. The potential and the risk of thunderstorms will pop up. Likely a cluster once again will move in across the southern interior. Concern will be for the afternoon and evening period once again, so we'll be tracking that through the day for tomorrow as well. I'll have more coming up very shortly. So, All right, thanks for that, Yvonne. Well, the shift in weather has the BC Wildfire Service responding to multiple new wildfires tonight. Here's a look at the current situation province-wide, there are currently 58 active wildfires burning in B.C., 19 of which were sparked in the last two days. 42 of the active fires were caused by lightning, and there are now seven wildfires of note. Homicide investigators have identified the victim of Tuesday's brazen daylight shooting in Surrey as 30-year-old David Chavez Jara, well-known to police with a long criminal history. His death is just the latest in a string of shootings in public places that leave many people feeling unsafe. Jasmine Bala reports. A yellow taxi cab covered with a tarp. Only moments earlier... Around four, I think, is what I heard. It was like bang, 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 bang. Several gunshots springing out in this busy Guildford Strip mall on Tuesday afternoon around 2.20. One man killed. The taxi driver seriously hurt. We were like a little shaken up, like... You know, you get that, like, shaky feeling inside of you, like the anxiety of just, like, someone was just shot in front of our restaurant. The victim has been identified by investigators as 30-year-old David Chavez Jara. He was sitting as a passenger in this cab when he was shot and killed. Police are calling it a targeted shooting, the victim known to them. Chavez Jara has had an extensive criminal history since his late teens, which includes assault with a weapon, domestic assault, and drug trafficking. We're looking to build that timeline of his events on the day of his death, as well as just get a better picture of who he is. But caught in the middle was the taxi driver just trying to do his job, also shot, seriously injured, and taken to hospital. The taxi drivers are not psychic. How do you recognize whether that person is not a good person or is a dangerous person. It's the latest in a series of daylight shootings in the Lower Mainland. Oh, we're not safe right now about this one, honestly. There's no need for guns. You're putting everybody at risk, everybody. Investigators say they are still determining whether there is any connection to the ongoing gang conflict. But with an innocent person injured, residents feel unsafe and are desperate for answers. We've been trying to provide updates as regularly as we can. I know in the past few weeks we've had several uh, high-profile shootings that have occurred. And uh, I'll say that IHIT has been doing a, a good job and has actually laid charges on the majority of those incidents. So I think the public... In seeing that, um, should have confidence in us. IHIT is asking any witnesses or anyone with dash cam footage to contact them. Jasmine Global News. The city of Vancouver appears to be giving people more time to pack up their belongings and move off the sidewalk on Hastings Street. <laughs> Hey, 
Chaos erupted on Tuesday as the city began the process of clearing tents and structures. Advocates had also raised concerns about people's belongings being moved into trash bins. But it was a much quieter scene today and dozens of tents are still up. First responders are speaking out, though, worried the situations they're responding to across Vancouver are becoming more dangerous. In those really challenging incidents, you know, working in partnership with uh, the police service and ambulance paramedics, we all work, uh, you know, with the team approach to keep each other safe. The environment, though, has become more challenging as we see people in, uh, in society in, in many areas of the city really deal with some serious mental health challenges. Vancouver police have not confirmed how many people were arrested on Tuesday. The city says it has provided more information on storage and other services, but it is still unclear when work on taking down the structures might resume. A warning our next story might be upsetting to some viewers. Questions linger around the discovery of human remains at a Vancouver social housing block. Sarah McDonald reports on the systemic failures that meant authorities found the bodies months later than they should have. It's been more than a week since the grim timeline and the embarrassing investigative oversight by multiple agencies in the tragic case of Noello Soup were made public. And still, silence. From virtually every agency that dropped the ball, from the day this 13-year-old vanished from foster care to the discovery of her decomposed remains, which went overlooked for months inside a cramped unit in this Vancouver housing complex, alongside those of a woman in her 30s. The person who went without a name for up until this moment for me. Who is she? Who are her people? Why didn't we matter? Why didn't any of us matter? Global News has learned she... That second dead female is closely related to a serving member of the Vancouver Police Department, which has repeatedly refused comments on this case, as one of its own officers grieves the loss of a loved one, and another now faces a neglect of duty probe by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. I'm sure I'm not the only one who mentioned it smells like death. Finn O'Reilly is one of multiple residents of this privately owned single-room occupancy building who raised repeated concerns of an overwhelming stench emanating from Unit 16, where we now know the tenant, a man in his 40s, had been living alongside those decomposed remains for weeks, if not months, before his own sudden death. I talked to the person who was supposed to run the place. Hey man, smells like death in the hallway, smells like death in the hallway. You should find out, like, what's the deal with the trash in there. It smells like death in the hallway. And I was just being off the cuff. It smells bad, really bad. I didn't realize it was actual death. Something Global News has learned the B.C. Coroner's Service didn't realize initially either. Because, according to sources, the coroner did not show up when that tenant died suddenly in February. Meaning nobody conducted a thorough search of the suite until cleaning crews did more than two months later. Only then finding those other two bodies, the deaths of both females, considered suspicious. One of the things that hopefully are able to be provided as this case uh, is examined is that we find out exactly how it happened, what mistakes were made, 
why things went wrong. The coroner won't comment on this case, setting a still open investigation. But when asked if the service's mandate to attend all sudden unnatural deaths has changed, confirmed it has not. Telling Global News, coroners are expected to attend the scene of any reported death that appears to meet the criteria for investigation. There are rare instances in which we are unable to physically attend the scene. Adding, suspected illicit drug toxicity deaths are handled in the same manner as all other investigations. Whenever possible, coroners attend the scenes of death and direct the post-mortem processes. That really ticks me off big. For this neighbor, the investigative oversight at seemingly every turn is infuriating. If this building was in West Vancouver, they would have turned that room over within 24 hours. We live here in East Vancouver where we don't matter. They didn't matter. But to her, not surprising. Sarah McDonald, Global News. The sex crimes investigator who fought for Amanda Todd. I knocked on her door and she told me to come in and I found a totally different child in that room. Former RCMP member Andrea Shattuck describes how deeply she was impacted by Amanda and the frustrating hunt for the man who tormented her. Next on the News Hour. A touching display of sportsmanship at the U.S. Little League Championships that's going viral later. And the brand new regional park with camping for hundreds of people. Where they're going to put it later. Right now, though, it has been 10 years since Amanda Todd died by suicide. But one of the first RCMP officers involved in the teen's case says she's still haunted by it. Andrea Shaddock says she vividly remembers her first meeting with Amanda and the dismay she felt at how little was being done to stop the person responsible for the teen's anguish. Ramina Dea has this exclusive report. Retired Coquitlam RCMP constable Andrea Shattuck vividly remembers Amanda Todd, 14 at the time, storming off to her bedroom when she told the teen to get off Facebook for her safety. Moments later... I knocked on her door and she told me to come in and I found a totally different child in that room. You know, I told her I understood um, the draw to be on Facebook and stuff like that. It's kind of addictive. Um, and I asked her, why, why do you keep creating all these profiles? And why do you keep adding people that you don't know in real life? And um, she just said, I'm lonely. Amanda, the victim of sexual blackmail by an online predator for years. Pornographic images of the teen sent to family, classmates and teachers. It's now November 2011. Shattuck tells Global News she refers the file to BC ICE, the RCMP's elite child exploitation unit. They came back with, he just is very good at what he does. He's masked his IP address. Um, and we, there's no way to figure out who's doing this. I was surprised, <laughs> to put it mildly. So I fully trusted that they had... Um, the technology and the training to handle something like this. I was, probably that was the first time in my career where I felt disillusioned with my job. Amanda's file closed. A year later, October 2012, catastrophic news. Shattuck in New York when she finds out Amanda killed herself. I was powerless to protect her. <laughs> 
Weeks before Amanda took her life, she shared her story of blackmail, torment, and depression in a haunting YouTube video viewed by millions worldwide. That video is what kicked everybody into gear, put pressure to reopen that investigation. But in my mind, Amanda, had she just committed suicide and not made that video, she probably would have just faded into the background and um, Coban might have gotten away with it. So I think she's a hero. RCMP spokesperson Sergeant Chris Manso tells Global News BC ICE worked extensively with Coquitlam RCMP on Amanda's case before she died. We are awaiting further details from the Mounties. The trial now over. Aidan Coben will be sentenced soon. Shattuck wanting to leave the world with this. Most of all, I want them to remember she was just a little girl. She was not responsible for what happened to her. Romina Dea, Global News. Coming up, what goes up can't come down. So what are you being told? Nothing. Why residents of a 20-story condo tower have to take the stairs. Also coming up, a new challenger for the B.C. NDP leadership. Why Anjali Apadurai says the party has lost its way. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight with just some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com, open 9 to 9 every day. I'm sure she was sitting Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The race to replace Premier John Horgan just got a new challenger. Climate activist Anjali Apatarai declaring today her plans to run to become the next leader of the BC NDP. Richard Zussman has the details. The race is on. We're seeing people's lives crumble faster than this government can offer solutions. On Wednesday, Anjali Apadurai kicking off her leadership campaign. A formal federal NDP candidate in Vancouver Granville hoping to make a giant leap. Winning the leadership would make her the next premier. This race is good for democracy. It's good to make those uncomfortable questions come to light. Up until now, only former Attorney General David Eby has been in the race. He has the support of most of his caucus and a big head start on organizing and fundraising. It has been shocking up to this point that nobody has had the guts to step forward and run against David Eby and challenge him and and make him uh, answer for his record. As a leader... The priority would be to turn the priorities of this party back the right way. Currently, they're upside down. Apadurai wants to see more extreme measures to tackle the climate emergency, including cutting provincial subsidies to oil and gas companies, and be more aggressive tackling the poison drug supply in an overheated housing market. The wannabe leader also has been highly critical of both the current government and other institutions, opposing police action to clear tents in the downtown east side, critical of the RCMP's moves in enforcing injunctions around the coastal gasoline pipeline, and she's against both the Sightsee Dam and expanding the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, you know, the party itself has some fault lines around environmental m- movement. It, it's made decisions as a government that have, have uh, dismayed some of the environmentalists. 
The head-to-head -head race will ensure both candidates are on the record on various controversial issues through debates and interviews, making it a little bit harder to end up in this office. Um, you know, you're going to have candidates that have to you know, describe their vision and, and actually articulate it both to the party and to the greater province, right? So uh, an easy ride doesn't allow someone uh, to do that. Voting starts in November with a new leader set to be announced on December 3rd. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Keith, as mentioned, Apadurai is a climate activist. Her platform mm. not typically what's expected from the NDP. Yes, indeed. In fact, she's going to be running against the NDP government as much as she's running against David Eby because she's going to be opposing a number of policies that David Eby, as a cabinet minister, has passed or endorsed. Richard touched on some of them in his story. Here's another list, which includes some of those issues as well. There's going to be some clashing over these issues between the two candidates. Things like natural gas fracking. Eby's government supports it. Her government, or her candidacy opposes it. LNG and pipeline expansion, again, a big split and difference there. Old growth logging. The climate activists want to total ban. NDP's not going there. And the support for the RCMP and the Vancouver Police Department, she's been quite critical of their actions regarding homelessness, shelters, uh, tent camps, and of course what's going on with the coastal gasoline pipeline in the north. So a lot of cabinet decisions have been made that she opposes, and it's going to be interesting to see how she can score off against David Eby on that during the campaign. We'll uh, make for an interesting contest for sure. Mm -hmm. Keith, uh, another political note. Former BC Solicitor General Rich Coleman appears to be considering mm -hmm. a return to politics. Yeah, the rumors abound out there in Langley that he may be returning as a mayoralty candidate. His name is, is now surfaced on an Elections BC website where he's listed as sort of the, the representative of a new political party, Langley Township. Elevate Langley is the name of the party, and he's the official representative of that party as a registry on the website. Doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be a candidate, but there are other people who have registered in the same position. Doug McCallum is registered, for example. He's running for mayor in Surrey. So is Brenda Locke. Rich Coleman is now registered there as a represent, official representative. Uh, I'm told there's been some polling out there testing his name with the voters of Langley. So it'll be interesting if he jumps back into municipal politics. Again, the vote is October 15th, so a lot of time to make his decision one way or another. See what happens. Thanks, Keith. Another quick note on politics. We're not quite done yet. Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West will be seeking a second term in the city's top job this fall. West made the announcement via Twitter this morning. He became mayor in 2018, winning nearly 90% of the vote. He's since established himself as one of the more popular mayors across Metro Vancouver, outspoken, as you know, on a number of issues, including calling for a public inquiry into money laundering in B.C. West had also been floated as a potential candidate to replace Premier John Horgan. Voters head to the polls in civic elections across the province October 15th. Residents of a Vancouver condo tower are stuck with no elevators and no timeline for a fix. Climbing up to 20 flights of stairs isn't what anyone signed up for. And as Grace Key shows us, it can be dangerous too. It's a West End condo that rises 21 stories, but if you want to get up and down, you've got to take the stairs. Residents say one elevator has been out for four months. The only other elevator is now out of service. It's turned into a major inconvenience for me but I'd say it's life-changing for, for others in the building. I live in the third floor, yeah. so I can take the stairs, but I guess for the other people that live in, I don't know, in the 12th floor or something, like, it's frustrating, of course. Residents were instructed to call the fire department. There's one right next door. If they couldn't use the stairs and needed assistance, another letter clarified to only call in case of an emergency. 
Vancouver fire inspectors did go to the building Wednesday morning. If something's serious where they've gone there and again established a severe life safety concern, immediately they're going to give a notice of violation to get this done and, and talk with them about steps going forward, about timelines, dates, um, and strategies to overcome this in the, the interim. Strata Minutes explain best case scenario, work on the first elevator starts in six months, and that was before the second one broke down. The Vancouver Island Strata Owners Association says elevator maintenance is challenging on top of a labor shortage and supply chain issue. But as soon as you have two that aren't working, if there isn't an alternative means to get people up and, up and down and moving around safely, then it could be deemed potentially an emergency under the Strata Property Act, which means that uh, the Strata Council could spend the money without having to call a meeting and a vote of the owners. An email from the Strata Council explains they understand the impact. They've worked countless hours to remedy the problem, and there's regular communication with the owners. Strata Councils are advised to contact a lawyer to understand roles, responsibilities, and liabilities. And it's a good idea to check in on your neighbours with mobility issues. Grace Key, Global News. A charity supporting babies desperate for help. We're just facing this alarming um, shortage. What Baby Go Round does for struggling families and how you can help coming up. Also tonight, the log that knocked a kayaker into the water and why it's now a criminal investigation. All the stories, all the action. From all the teams that come to play. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, and southbound traffic is still a little bit backed up on the approach from north of Steveston. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million, plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The entire fleet of Snowbirds aircraft is grounded after one of the planes was damaged during an incident in northern B.C. last week. The Royal Canadian Air Force says a deliberate, detailed and broad risk analysis will be conducted on all 20 aircraft flown by the group. They also say the aircraft will not be allowed to fly again until the review is completed. The grounding comes after a CT-114 Tudor flown by a Snowbirds pilot was damaged during takeoff from the North Peace Regional Airport in Fort St. John earlier this month. The fleet has since cancelled performances in Penticton, Abbotsford and White Rock. A man has been arrested after allegedly pushing a log off a cliff onto a pair of kayakers paddling near Nanaimo. RCMP say it happened on Saturday off Jesse Island at the entrance to Departure Bay Beach. A man and woman kayaking in the area had a short exchange with a man on shore and continued to paddle. But after a few minutes, they saw the man push a large log off a cliff directly above them. The log struck the woman, knocking her out of her kayak. It also struck the male, but he managed to stay upright in his kayak. Police say the log was approximately 20 feet long and eight inches in diameter, police arrested a 37-year-old man for assault with a weapon. Dozens of people gathering in Victoria today demanding solutions to the ongoing family doctor shortage in B.C. Demonstrators with the group B.C. Healthcare Matters rallying outside the Ministry of Health building today. Many people there say they don't have a family doctor or do not have timely access to a physician. One woman we spoke to says she lost her family doctor four years ago had a heart attack two years ago 
and still doesn't have a doctor. I firmly believe that had I had a family doctor, my heart attack would have either been delayed or avoided. I've had high blood pressure and was treated for it and been on those drugs. And lack of a family doctor, if I'd had regular um, checkups and tests, perhaps they would have seen something. The group BC Family Doctors says nearly one million British Columbians do not have access to a family physician. A Vancouver charity helping struggling parents care for their babies needs its own help tonight. Baby Go Round is suffering a critical shortage of supplies, but the stream of donated cribs, clothing, and other items is almost completely dried up. Kamal Karamali reports on the shortage and how you can help. Wow, Claire. Five-month-old Claire is without a doubt a bundle of joy. Oh, so cute. But also costs her parents a bundle of cash. Love. The Santos family immigrated from Brazil this year. For newcomers, it's pretty, pretty hard to, to get some help. Claire was born one week before their medical services plan kicked in. So we got uh, $15,000 uh, a cost of labor. Paying that much for hospital fees means little left over for baby supplies. We have a couple of high chairs for you to choose from. So they came here. Baby Go Round, a charity that gives donated baby supplies to low-income parents. We see families who are new to Canada. We see single parents. But in recent months, they've hit a major snag. We are completely out of bassinets. Supplies are being snapped up quickly. We are extremely short on cribs. While donations have slowed down to a crawl. You can see that we're extremely low. Usually packed with dozens of these items, now only down to a handful. We are days away from running out of almost every single item. Organizers say more people are selling items on social media sites like Facebook because it's easier. The supply chain issue is also causing fewer people to donate. So now a public plea. It takes immense courage and vulnerability to step forward. I'm sorry. To step forward and say, I need some help. And as an organization, as a community, I can't tell them that we can't help them or that we can only give them half of what they need or we can only see them two weeks after their baby comes. Now asking for donations of cribs, bassinets, diaper bags, baby tubs and nursing pillows, among other items. <laughs> the help much appreciated by these parents who can now sleep a bit easier at night. We are pretty grateful when we put our, our head in, in the bed. <laughs> Very nice, Claire. Hoping other parents get to feel the same sense of peace as well. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Wow. Just ahead, a Holocaust survivor from Schindler's List turns 100. How he escaped with his life and what he says about the man who saved him. Also coming up, the story behind the mega yacht spotted in Deep Cove. A new regional park is being proposed for Bowen Island. Metro Vancouver is planning to preserve a forested waterfront property at Cape Roger Curtis. It has an agreement for 97 hectares for around $40 million. The land is located on Squamish Nation territory and discussions are underway on how to best develop it. It will have both day use and supervised overnight camping areas for around 500 people. Our campgrounds that we do have right now at Derby Reach and that are, are at capacity 
um, they're booked uh, as soon as they open up. And, and so there is a big demand for this. And, and we really want to be able to give whatever level of camping that people come, they're going to be able to, to facilitate and, and enjoy and, and take in the, a, a beautiful island. And we do think this is going to be an incredible revenue generator for the island as well. Millions of dollars in infrastructure is already in place and preliminary designs are underway. Officials are also working on ways to not add stress to BC Ferries capacity. It's going to be a great place to stay once they get that open. All right, let's check in with uh, Yvonne right now. We're keeping an eye on some of this uh, weather that could pose a problem in the interior for firefighters, Yvonne. Yeah, so we are watching, especially with the severe thunderstorm watch that has now been added to a few spots. I'll have that in just a moment. But a look outside for Metro Vancouver. It's been unsettled. We'll still see the hot temperatures soaring through the day for tomorrow. We've had some instability. We will still even see the slight chance for some showers overnight tonight leading in towards the morning hours. Now, a severe thunderstorm watch has been added to the South Thompson. We're seeing that in towards the Nicola, the Fraser Canyon. So the potential is there to see it become severe. What we're tracking is lightning strikes, intense winds, or strong winds rather, heavy rainfall, and the potential even for nickel-sized hail. So this will be a big concern that will increase the fire risk across the region, and we're watching those lightning strikes at this hour, hopefully starting to see them dissipate, but then it picks up once again through the afternoon and early evening hours for tomorrow. Fire danger rating is blanketed in orange, so most areas sitting at extreme high rather a few areas extreme so please be very diligent in the coming days and we've got most areas in moderate as well now the concern will be for the southern interior the thompson okanagan the southeastern corners the central interior will be included within that we're looking at the potential and risk of thunderstorms popping up once again through the afternoon and early evening for tomorrow it'll dissipate and we'll actually see a bit of a break on friday drier conditions along the north coast temperatures up to 19 degrees central and southern half is where we're seeing that risk of thunderstorms remaining hot through the day. Temperatures still getting closer to 30 degrees for most areas. Whistler will see it topping out at 30. Along the south coast, we've got a bit of shower activity, drizzle for the morning hours. It'll dissipate. We've got a hot one tomorrow, 27 with the Humidex away from the water, 32, bright spot on Friday. Isolated showers on Saturday, rounding off the weekend so far on Sunday with dry conditions and highs up to 23. Tonight's weather window, a spectacular shot of the sunset that was captured last night in Maple Ridge by Daryl. Guys, look at those colors. Thank you, Yvonne. One of the most expensive super yachts in the world has been spotted right here on the Lower Mainland. The $160 million Lonian yacht was anchored off of Deep Cove this morning. The 87-meter vessel was also seen off the waters of Victoria a few weeks ago. And according to multiple financial transparency databases, the yacht is owned by Fertitta Enterprises. The Lonian can accommodate 12 guests, 27 crew, and even has its own helicopter landing pad. That is the former owner of, what is it, UFC? Mm-hmm. Apparently. The Fertitta Brothers. The Fertitta Brothers. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Spare room, maybe. What do you think, guys? What's that? Be, be nice to hang out I'm on just going to say, that's exactly it. We'll just invite ourselves over. Sure. I just did so. <laughs> uh, absolutely. We're fun, right? We can be. We can be. <laughs> hey, uh, one of the greatest to ever pick up a tennis racket has played her last match here in Canada. Serena Williams sent out in style was given a five-minute standing ovation tonight after she exited the National Bank Open in the second round. We'll show you how Lely Annie Fernandez made out in her match today as well. Look forward to that, Jay. Thank you. Also tonight, as he turns 100, gratitude for the man who saved his life during the Holocaust. The story of one of the last remaining survivors on Schindler's List.
right, Jay is here now with sports. Jay? Thank you very much, Sophie. The Vancouver Whitecaps have another crucial match ahead of them. Caps are in Los Angeles on Saturday to take on the Galaxy. Only six points are separating third from 11th. Caps are going to have to make a go of it, though, without Lucas Cavallini and Brian White. Cavallini just has too many yellow cards accumulated. White's dealing with the rib injury. Andres Kubis and Marcus Godinho both available for selection. Caps are a deeper squad this season thanks to a handful of significant signings, all part of Axel Schuster's master plan of building a championship side. Out with the old, in with the new. Whatever the Whitecaps were doing with transfer targets in the past wasn't working, not as well as it is now anyway. And without delving into the finer details of scouting because the team didn't want to give out any secrets, they stressed that finding the right fit is paramount. He said the four cornerstones are more important than everything else for us. And it's mentality, team spirit, work ethic and discipline. Along with finding players that fit the culture and adhere to the four cornerstones, the Caps have also been opportunistic. Whether it's acquiring Tristan Blackman through an expansion draft trade with Charlotte or getting Julian Gressel, who no longer fits DC United's scheme under new coach Wayne Rooney or going after players on teams that are being relegated in their respective leagues, which was the case for Ryan Gold, Andre Kubas, and Alessandro Schaaf. But getting them in the door is only part of the equation. On, on the football side, we try to, to be, as a coaching staff, as clear as we can with the demand and what we ask uh, and in, uh, in terms of the uh, task of a player on the field that uh, is going to be... I would say, I don't say easy, but easier to, to, to come into, into, a new, into a new environment. He isn't the marquee name that we've seen other clubs acquire, but this year's big signing, Andre Kubas, has already established himself as one of the best defensive midfielders in the game. He's top in the league for a lot of those uh, criteria and stats that count for us. Uh, winning challenges, uh, having interceptions, uh, winning tackles and all of that. Ryan Gold quickly fit into the team last summer and scored six goals and five assists in all competitions in his first season. He's added three goals and four assists in his sophomore campaign, and he's found that the city fits him too. Now that the nicer weather is here, you can see how beautiful the city really is. And, uh, you know, you can get up to the mountains or, you know, 20 minutes later you're at the beach. So um, no, matter what you, no matter what you like and um, what your hobbies are, you can... You can always find that here. With so many key additions and only 11 positions on the field, the fight for playing time will be fierce for the final matches of the season. If you're willing to work and if you, are, uh, and if you put a team ahead of you, you will always have, uh, I would say, space in my team. Shoja Leilani Fernandez winning on Monday night. Unfortunately, I'm not going to show you her winning tonight. Second round match today against Brazilian Beatrice Haddad Maia was over in two sets. As uh, Leila Annie goes down 7-6, 6-1. Bianca Andreescu's on the court right now. Number one seed, Iga Swiatek, is a winner today as well. World Junior Hockey Championship. I know, it's strange, isn't it? Watching the World Juniors in August. I know, Chris, it makes no sense to me either. Of course, the tournament was postponed almost eight months ago because of COVID. Connor Bedard had a four-goal game against Austria. Remember that? Seven and a half months ago? Well, he scored again tonight. He's got 18 goals in 14 games wearing a Team Canada jersey. I think we'll see a few more goals from Connor Bedard this tournament. Canada was up early against Latvia, but they made it interesting until Canada scored a couple on the power play and then blow the game wide open, and this is a beauty. Ridley, Greg, Canada wins 5-2. They're back on the ice tomorrow when they'll take on Slovakia. First round,
Rank works from Whistler in full gear. This is Canada's Vieja Verbeek racing her way to back-to-back -back victory. She won on Monday, won again last night. This time she did it in specialized dual sw uh, slalom. This is all about precision power and bike handling skills. Of course, by the way, is on base two on Blackcomb Mountain. She wrecked hard in uh, Utah at the end of May. ACL, MCL, not doing well. Sore hip is all, but she raced her way to a gold yesterday at Crankworks. Oh, look out. Have to show you this from the Little League World Series play down south of the border yesterday. This is Texas East pitcher Caden Shelton accidentally beating Isaiah Jarvis of Oklahoma. This was a little scary. Got him right above the ear and just below the bill. Now, he was okay. Jarvis was fine, but he saw the pitcher, Caden Shelton, was really upset. He was crying. The little guy was crying on the mound. He went over to console the pitcher for being hit by his pitch. Just incredible stuff. This is life skills by 11- and 12-year-old boys. Compassion, courage, sportsmanship, all on display by uh, little boys. Power of sport, Chris. It's a magical thing. I say it all the time. Really do. Good parenting. Good, good coaching. parenting. Good young boys. Amazing. Thanks very much, Jay. Like to see more of that. No doubt. All right, when we come back, one of only a handful of survivors who made Schindler's List turns a hundred reflecting on the man who saved his life. That's next. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Jordan Armstrong standing by now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, we'll have more tonight on how first responders are increasingly finding themselves in hostile situations. We heard from firefighters earlier in the newscast. At 11, we'll hear from paramedics. Tonight, their union is calling for better supports in the community for people dealing with mental health and addiction challenges. These and other issues take a toll on paramedics. More than 30% are off the job on work-safe claims or in treatment for psychological injury. The full story when you join us tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? Okay, we'll look for it then. Thanks, Jordan. A Montreal man is marking his 100th birthday today, a birthday that at one time he never expected to make. He was doomed to death during the Holocaust until he was saved by Oscar Schindler, made famous by the movie Schindler's List. Global's Phil Carpenter has the story. Roman Lesniak still remembers growing up in Krakow, Poland in the 1930s. The life goes normal. We have good relations with our Polish neighbors. He was 17 years old in 1939 when Nazi Germany invaded. And the whole thing explodes. It comes to an end on September 1st, where Nazi Germany attacked us. He says the Jewish community was suddenly targeted. The synagogues were looted. People were forced into the streets. Thousands were rounded up. And they took them to concentration camp and then to gas chambers. He says he and his brothers escaped the gas chamber out of luck. Both their names ended up on a list of Jews at concentration camps requested by German businessman Oskar Schindler. Lesniak and the others were sent to work at munitions factory Schindler owned. He saved my life, my brother's life, and 1,200 others. And for that, he says he's grateful despite the fact Schindler was a Nazi. Lesniak believes Schindler was more of an opportunist, a profiteer, than a true Nazi. He wasn't a Nazi in heart. 
he was a Nazi in the packet. After the war, he went to Israel, where he fought in the Arab-Israeli war. He subsequently moved to Montreal, where he built a successful construction business. Lesniak still honors Schindler. There's six people from Schindler's list still alive. For his birthday, he's grateful to be one of them, and to Schindler, who he says gave him back his name and his honor. Phil Carpenter, Global News, Montreal. Wow, what a life, what a story. No doubt, and still in mm-hmm. very good shape for 100 years old. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, uh, Yvonne will give you the final word on weather, still keeping a close eye on what's happening in the interior. Yeah, we've got thunderstorms that have popped up, uh, especially for the southeast, uh, southern half, Nicola, South Thompson. We are going to track it once again through the afternoon and early evening for tomorrow. Metro Vancouver, we've got a few showers, drizzle for the morning hours, a clearing through the afternoon. Still a hot one tomorrow, 27 away from the water with the Humidex. We'll be into the low 30s. Rebounds on Friday, blip on Saturday, and looks like we'll round off the weekend so far with some sunshine on Sunday. All right, thank you very much, Yvonne. Quick shout-out to the Little Mountain baseball team from Vancouver. Tearing it up at the Canadian Little League Championship. On the diamond as we speak, Chris. They're playing right now. They're playing Ontario right now, I think. All right, we'll check the score. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.